0: Baby, I like
1: Hello, and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And, of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. Okay, so first off, a quick update. On the last episode of this podcast, I mentioned that I probably wouldn't have too much time to record anymore due to the birth of my son. Well, fortunately, I was able to get this episode out on time because I'm recording it about a month and a half in advance. So yes, while you're listening to this, I'm actually recording in April for an episode that goes up in June. So by the time you're hearing this, congratulations to me, because my son, Kurgan Sako Hugepex, will have been born. And my wife and I are presumably not sleeping at this point, or hey, maybe I've died from COVID-19 by now. Who knows? That's the magic of recording an episode in the past. So many possibilities for the future. But the good news is, I did manage to get this one done, so you can all hopefully enjoy at least one more episode of the Raw Attitude Podcast before I take a bit of a break. But also, yes, with that being said, I will try to get the King of the Ring mega episode done and uploaded by next month as well. That one may be a bit dicier, but we'll see, so stay tuned. But alright, enough of that. Let's get on with the show, and let's dive in to Monday Night Raw. It is Monday, June 21st, 1999, and we are live from the Pyramid in Memphis, Tennessee, the hometown of Jerry the King Lawler. Some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in this same venue include four episodes of Raw, three episodes of SmackDown, and just one pay-per-view this past February's St. Valentine's Day Massacre, where Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Vince McMahon inside of a steel cage, and Bob Hawley and Al Snow fought into the nearby Mississippi River. We open the show with a recap of what happened in the main event of last week's episode of Raw. As you may recall, The Rock needed to defeat Corporate Ministry members The Undertaker and Triple H in a triple threat match in order to earn a shot at Taker's WWF title at King of the Ring. Well, Rock did just that, thanks in part to China accidentally tripping The Undertaker, and Taker then grabbed China by the throat, which distracted Triple H, allowing Rock to hit him with a Rock Bottom and score the pinfall. And after the match, as you might expect, Triple H was None too pleased with The Undertaker choking China, so the two of them got into a brawl that the other corporate ministry members had to break up, and that was how we went off the air last week. And from there, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Some of the noteworthy signs in the audience tonight, and bear with me because there are a lot of them, include I like boobies Lawler ran over my foot Test me, baby how Do You Like My Damn Sign, Elvis Did Your Mama, Triple H Is Too Good For The Corporate Ministry, I Want Rocks Bottom, God Bless The Coke Man, Rick Has Lost His Flair, Vince and Shane Fucking Suck, although admittedly there were two little asterisks in the middle so it didn't actually say fuck, I'm Too Drunk To Spell, with the word two being spelled T-W-O, Genitals, with an arrow pointing downward. Smells like anus, with an arrow pointing at the guy next to him. Pound those puppies, and on a related note, I've got puppy breath. In a literal sign of the times, Shane is Vince's mini-me, which is topical since the second Austin Powers movie had just been released a mere ten days before this episode. I crapped in Sable's bag, so clearly that guy has been reading The Observer. Austin is an alcoholic, help me Obi-Wan jabroni, save a tree, eat a beaver, shut yo ass, so now we know where Chris Jericho gets his present-day catchphrase, Sable gave lousy head, and perhaps even worse than that last one, hit that bitch. So certainly the fans of Memphis are bringing their A-games when it comes to insanely tasteless phrases written on pieces of cardboard. And we officially open the show with Triple H and China walking to the ring. And sure enough, Hunter immediately tells The Undertaker to bring his ass to the ring, and the dead man does indeed accept the challenge. However, before they can brawl with each other, the other members of the corporate ministry get between them, and Vince McMahon grabs a mic to interrupt the proceedings. Vince says that Taker and Triple H beating the hell out of each other is exactly what the people want, but that's not going to happen tonight, nor any other night. And certainly not at three different WrestleManias in the future. Well, okay, I I just added that last part. And Vince then turns his attention to the new CEO of the WWF, Stone Cold Steve Austin, which, as you might expect, does indeed cause Austin to emerge from backstage. The Rattlesnake sets up shop at the top of the ramp with a ladder and a briefcase because, as you might recall from last week's show, Vince and Shane have challenged Stone Cold to a ladder match at King of the Ring. Whoever grabs the briefcase gets full control of the company. And Austin even sits atop the ladder at the top of the stage as well, giving us a very nice visual. And of course, as you might expect, Stone Cold officially accepts the ladder match. But he has a stipulation to add. No corporate ministry members are allowed to interfere in the match. However, since Vince and Shane still have control of 50% of the company, Vince tries to counter that by saying that actually anyone is allowed to interfere because it will be no holds barred. So it appears that we're at a bit of a standstill, but, well, take a listen to what happens next.
2: No outside interference. No, 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 no. You got it all wrong. Listen. Listen. You're not in control yet, and Shane and I still own 50%. So this is the stipulation that we're going to have in this ladder match. No holes barred. Anything goes, Austin. I don't care if the 82nd Airborne comes in and joins us in this match. I don't give a damn. That's the way it's going to be. And why? Because Vince and Shane
0: McMahon said so. Yeah! That makes outside interference legal. What, what the hell? No. Wait a minute! What, what no, no. Down to Mr.
2: decision that will have a tremendous impact on the World Wrestling Federation, I believe I need a cup of coffee to calm my nerves. Associates, if you will. Associates?
0: Oh no, Shawn Michaels, new Associates. It huh? comes Short now,
2: we can't just have you guys throwing out stipulations around here, sort of like the way I used to throw you around, Vince. So I tell you what we're gonna do tonight here on Raw: we're gonna have a match to decide the final stipulation in the ladder match at King of the Ring. That sounds fair.
0: Everybody throw-
2: in that match here tonight on Raw, it will be Stone Cold Steve Austin what? versus whichever member of the corporate ministry you see fit. Now, what? if Stone Cold Steve Austin wins the match tonight, it will be Stone Cold stipulation that will be in force at King of the Ring, which is if any members of the corporate ministry interfere in that match, Stone Cold Steve Austin will get 100% ownership Uh, of the World Wrestling Federation! uh,
0: Commissioner, CEOs, I hate them all! Now,
2: if the member of the corporate ministry wins that match, it will be the McMahon stipulation that will be enforced at King of the Ring, which is... Anything goes. No disqualification. Yeah. No holds barred. Now, we know it's going to be stone cold in the match, but which member of the corporate ministry is it going to be? mick Mc- <laughs> uh, that would be... The Undertaker.
0: Oh yeah! <laughs> uh,
2: well, I got a little problem with that because you see, he's already booked tonight. So who's your next choice?
0: Look, mean? mean? Undertaker's already booked. HBK, the decision is easy. It's as easy as a pedigree. Triple H is the choice for the corporate ministry.
2: Yeah, that's good. Well, you see, Shane, just like your New York Knicks. You're 0 for 2 because Triple H is booked also. So who's it going to be? Wait a minute. Oh, what kind of games are you playing here, Michaels? Well, see, the game I'm playing is this. Tonight here on Raw, The Undertaker will defend his World Wrestling Federation Championship against Triple H. Wow. Wait wait a minute. Oh, my.
0: Now. He can't do
2: that McMahons, you still have a choice to make. So what's it going to be? The big boss man will kick Austin's ass. Oh? Well, that's as good choice as any, but I'll tell you what, just to make sure that no other members of the corporate ministry interfere, I think I'll be the special guest referee. special guest referee or not, boss man, I'm going to beat your sorry ass, and that's the bottom line, Costone Cone Setson.
0: The McMahon and the Rattlesnake At the King of the Ring
2: Excuse me, excuse me Could we turn that music down a bit It's just come to my attention Vince, Shane That Mr. Patterson And Mr. Briscoe Request your presence tonight In a tag team match And well, hell, I've decided to give it to them Now, we'll see you And we wouldn't want to be you Now hit my
1: So, yes, as you heard there, Commissioner Shawn Michaels decided to interject himself into tonight's festivities, and amusingly, he actually comes up through the little trap door on the stage as though he was a member of the Brood. And by the way, for you NBA fans out there, HBK is wearing a shirt which says his hometown San Antonio Spurs are the Western Conference champions because this episode of Raw was taking place during the NBA Finals and the Spurs had not yet won their first NBA championship, but they do end up winning it a mere four days after this show airs. But anywho, Sean says that Stone Cold will face a member of the corporate ministry tonight and if Austin wins, there will be no interference allowed at King of the Ring, but if the corporate ministry member wins, there will be interference allowed. So yes, the McMahons try to choose The Undertaker and Triple H to represent them tonight, but that's not in the cards, because HBK has already booked The Undertaker versus Triple H for tonight's show. Huh. The Undertaker, Triple H, and Shawn Michaels all crossing each other's paths to set up a match. It almost seems like tonight is the beginning of an era. No, no, that that doesn't sound right. Anyway, because Taker and Hunter are booked to face each other, Vince picks the big boss man to face Austin tonight, and so we have our match. And just to make sure everything goes smoothly, yes, HBK will act as the special guest referee for the match as well. So yes, Stone Cold heads backstage, but we're not done yet, because while Austin's music is playing, the Stooges pull HBK aside and request a match of their own. So yes, tonight, we're apparently also getting Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe versus Vince and Shane McMahon. And amusingly, the Stooges then start doing some sexy dancing a la Shawn Michaels, so Vince has most of the corporate ministry members chase after them, leaving only Vince, Shane, and Viscera in the ring. And amazingly, we're still not done with the segment yet, because while the McMahons and Viscera are in the ring, Ken Shamrock sneaks in from the crowd and smacks Viscera in the back with a chair. Vince and Shane then scamper out of the ring and up to the ramp area where the other corporate ministry members are standing, but yes, it appears that we are still running with this mini-feud between Ken Shamrock and the McMahons. And then, as if things weren't chaotic enough, we then cut backstage where your WWF Intercontinental Champion Jeff Jarrett is now arguing with Commissioner Michaels about having to compete tonight. Jarrett says he isn't dressed to wrestle, but HBK doesn't appear to care. Alrighty then. And from there, after a quick commercial break, we cut backstage where Vince and Shane are giving a pep talk to the corporate ministry about how they need to watch out for Ken Shamrock tonight. Shane asks if there are any questions, to which Midian responds by asking if he can borrow an extra belt from Shane's bag. An annoyed-looking Shane then just tells him to go do whatever he wants, but let's just say that you may want to remember that little tidbit for a few moments from now. And before the segment ends, Shane then commends Vince for booking Ken Shamrock versus Test tonight, which I assume happened during the commercial break? Who knows? But fittingly, that provides a nice segue because we then go back into the arena where it is now time for our first match of the evening, and it is the match that Vince McMahon has apparently just booked Ken Shamrock versus Test. By the way, a quick point of clarification here. So, two episodes ago, I mentioned that June 7th was the final night that the union was together, but when Test is introduced tonight, Tony Chimmel does indeed announce him as a member of the union. However, for some reason, He does not announce Ken Shamrock as a member of the union, so I don't know what the hell Chimmel's deal is tonight. Let's just assume that he fucked up and the union is indeed dead. And so we have Ken Shamrock versus Test. Or do we? Because before the match can begin, we then see the aforementioned Jeff Jarrett being ordered to come to the ring by Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe. And Patterson then proceeds to grab a microphone and tell us that Commissioner Shawn Michaels has apparently made a slight change to the Shamrock vs. Test match, because it will now be a triple threat match. Shamrock vs. Test vs. Jeff Jarrett, and Double J's Intercontinental title will be on the line. And he has to defend it in his home state, no less. But before I get into that match, let's just take a breather for a second here to recap everything that's happened so far tonight. So, Triple H called out The Undertaker, which brought out Vince McMahon, which brought out Steve Austin, which brought out Shawn Michaels, which led to the Stooges booking their own match, which led to the corporate ministry going after the Stooges, which left Vince, Shane, and Viscera alone in the ring, which led to Ken Shamrock attacking Viscera, which led to Vince booking Shamrock versus Test, which led to Shawn Michaels making that contest into an Intercontinental title match to one-up Vince. Did you get all that, folks? Gotta say, though, I've slagged Vince Russo many times on this program, but the opening 25 minutes here involved about a dozen characters with interweaving storylines, and it all unfolded in a way that actually kinda made sense. So yes, Russo has done plenty of dumb shit over the course of this (laughs) podcast—stay tuned for this episode, by the way—but I will give him a tip of the cap here for doing a great job setting up tonight's show. So with that in mind, let's get into Jarrett vs. Shamrock vs. Test for the Intercontinental title. And early on, Shamrock and Test actually work together to take down Double J, but then each man goes for a cover with the other guy pulling the other one off of Jeff Jarrett, which causes Shamrock to clothesline Test down to the mat. So much for the two union guys putting on a united front. And shortly after that, Jarrett takes Shamrock down with a DDT, followed by Test clotheslining Double J out of the ring. Test then follows Jarrett down to the floor, leaving Ken Shamrock alone in the ring, at which point we get an appearance from someone who hasn't been seen on Monday Night Raw since early March.
0: Yes! Oh, yes! team by Jeff Jarrett, who is how the Intercontinental Jeff? Champion, and Jarrett hung up on that top rope. Finds himself outside now. And Blackman oh, oh, with a with a Kindle stick. Blackman ah. for some reason is assaulting Ken Shamrock with a Kendo stick. Oh, what is the meaning of this? Why is Steve Blackman, the lethal weapon assaulting oh, no, no, Ken there, Shamrock? You gotta love it. I don't have to love it. Look, oh, right, in the, right in the head. What a shot. A premeditated shot in the head. This just went right into the post. And Blackman has knocked out Shamrock. And Jarrett gets him one, two, three. I don't believe it. Beautiful. Here is your winner and still the Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion, Jeff Jarrett. Yes. Well, Jeff Jarrett was forced into this matchup by Commissioner Shawn Michaels and thanks to the lethal weapon Steve Blackman's assault with a kendo stick on Ken Shamrock.
1: So, yes, as you heard there, with referee Tim White distracted outside the ring, trying to separate Jeff Jarrett and Test, the lethal weapon Steve Blackman makes his first appearance on Raw since March 8th, smacking Ken Shamrock several times with a kendo stick. And the final blow, a shot right to Shamrock's head, puts him down for the count, at which point Blackman heads right back to the locker room. Meanwhile on the floor, Double J Irish Whips test into the ring post, he rolls back into the ring, he covers Shamrock, Tim White makes the count, and yes, your winner and, still, WWF Intercontinental Champion is hometown boy Jeff Jarrett, with a big assist from the returning Steve Blackman. So why is Steve Blackman attacking Ken Shamrock? Why is he using a kendo stick? And why does he not refer to it as Kendo Shamrock? Certainly, it appears that we have more questions than answers. But in the meantime, Double J is still your reigning Intercontinental Champion, despite the odds not being in his favor. And so, after a commercial break, we go back into the arena for our next match, and this is pretty cool. It's the dream match none of us ever knew that we even wanted. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you The Rock vs. Edge. And by the way, remember that we're in Memphis tonight, which is where The Rock actually got his start before coming to the WWF. He wrestled there under the amazing name of Flex Cavana in Jerry Lawler's United States Wrestling Association, so this is a bit of a homecoming for the great one. And before the match begins, he has some harsh words for his opponent at this Sunday's King of the Ring pay-per-view.
2: Says that you come out here and you say you're going to drag the rock to the learning tree? Well, the rock says he will gladly go to the learning tree with you. Pause. Take a branch off. Pick each leaf off. Take that stick and stick it straight up your candy ass.
1: and so our rock versus edge match then gets underway and they actually give them about three and a half minutes so we get a very nice little match here rock is on offense for most of it but edge manages to mount a brief comeback unfortunately for edge though he makes a crucial mistake he goes to the top rope and leaps off in order to attempt uh some sort of move but rock catches him nails him with a rock bottom, followed by a people's elbow, and yes, that is good enough for the 1, the 2, and the 3. Your winner of the match, The Rock. And alas, folks, I have some sad news for you. This is the only ever televised one-on-one match between The Rock and Edge, so be sure to savor all three and a half of those glorious minutes. But then, as soon as the match ends, your WWF champion the Undertaker enters the ring where he then proceeds to quickly snatch the rock and nail him with a tombstone pile driver. Clearly, Taker wasn't a big fan of being told that he was going to have a tree branch shoved up his ass. He then leaves the ring and heads backstage as Rock lies in the ring, clutching his head. And fittingly, we then cut backstage where Vince and Shane are with Triple H and China. Vince asks Hunter what he plans on doing tonight, since Shawn Michaels has booked Taker vs. Triple H, to which Hunter says that he plans on beating Taker's ass and winning the WWF title. So clearly, there is still quite a bit of dissension in the corporate ministry ranks. And so, after a commercial break, we go back into the arena for our next match, and it is what is being called a guerrilla Slam match, Mark Henry vs. Viscera. And if you're wondering about the rules here, this is literally just a body slam challenge the first guy to slam his opponent wins. To which I ask, then why the fuck is it called a Gorilla Slam match? A Gorilla Slam is when you pick your opponent up and hold him above your head, which clearly isn't going to happen here with these two guys. And I don't mean to go there, but, uh, that name kinda sounds a little bit racist in this case. I mean, two African-American guys in the match, and you call it a Gorilla Slam match when no actual Gorilla Slams are taking place? What the fuck, WWF, but I digress. On a later note, though, Mark Henry actually does not enter to his usual sexual chocolate theme song, but rather instead, we get the debut of D'Lo Brown's theme song called Danger at the Door, the one which memorably begins with the record scratch, followed by, You're looking at the real deal now. Remember, Mark Henry is teaming with D-Lo around this time, so it's actually Sexual Chocolate who gets to be the first man to enter to that sweet-ass theme song, so fun bit of trivia for you there. Anyway, as for the match itself, somehow, Mark Henry actually manages to fuck this whole thing up. How? Because he does indeed pick Viscera up, but he's supposed to do the old Hulk Hogan spot where you lift the fat guy, but then your back gives out. But Mark Henry actually slips and falls forward before he drops Viscera, which, of course, makes it look like he just slammed him. So really, if we go by what our eyes see, Mark Henry should be declared the winner, but instead they have to keep the match going. Yikes. And then, because that wasn't bad enough, Mark Henry then climbs to the second turnbuckle, but Viscera snatches him and throws him down to the mat, almost dropping sexual chocolate right on his neck in the process but apparently that counts as a slam, so referee Jimmy Corderas calls for the bell. Your winner of this... Gorilla Slam match is Viscera. And then, after the match ends, Viscera attempts to add injury to... uh, further injury by climbing to the top turnbuckle, and, well, take a listen to what happens next.
0: Mark Henry is in a bad, bad way here. Oh, you're kidding me. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it, but... Oh, Lord. We need a crane to get this man up. Because Dilo Brown, Dino Brown, Mark Henry's friend, and tag team partner. This is 500 pounds up on the top. Where's he going to go? I'll tell you what. Oh, my God. The ring shot. The floor shot. Oh, the a pyramid shot. Here comes. Midian carrying some kind of title belt. Down goes D-lo Brown and down goes Mark Henry. What kind of belt is that? Midian walking out here with some sort of uh, title belt. It's one of the WWS title belts. In any event, Midian and Viscera have laid out Mark Henry and D-lo Brown.
1: So, as you heard there, Viscera went to the top turnbuckle to squash Mark Henry, but before he could do that, D.Lo Brown ran out from backstage, and he and Sexual Chocolate then proceeded to throw Viscera down to the canvas. And again, I'll give credit where it's due, it was actually a pretty nice bump by Viscera. But from there, Viscera's tag team partner, Midian, ran out from backstage, and he proceeded to hit both D.Lo and Mark Henry with what Jim Ross referred to as, quote, some sort of title belt. And JR even then proceeded to ask, quote, what kind of belt is that? And I have to say, This part confused me because the belt Midian is holding is quite clearly the European title. Now, remember, Midian said that he wanted to borrow a belt from Shane McMahon's bag, so it's not all that hard to put two and two together here. But for some reason, Jim Ross is acting like he's never seen the belt before, so just in case you need a reminder, Shane McMahon retired the European title less than three months ago. I mean, it's not like this was the WWF North American Championship from 1981. It's the fucking European title. We saw it recently. I mean, Jesus Christ, JR, get it together, man. But yes, apparently Midian is now the reigning European champion, having won the belt by going through the incredibly difficult process of pulling it out of a duffel bag. And I would say that's the dumbest possible way of winning a belt, but if you fast forward to 2002, that's basically how one of Triple H's world title reigns begins so let's just move on so after that match concludes we cut backstage where Michael Cole is with Beaver Cleavage and his mother Mrs. Cleavage so let's take a listen to what they have to say Beaver Mrs. Cleavage tonight you got a big match against Meat my is <laughs> <Nine hours, Dan. laughs> oh, the rest of the guy meat <laughs> <That's> crazy <laughs> it's okay I can't do this. What? Chaz, we're live, Chaz!
0: Chaz! Chaz! What the
1: the hell? So, yes, as you heard there, Michael Cole tells Beaver that he has to wrestle meat tonight, to which Beaver responds by sadly burying his face in his mother's breasts. But then he quickly pops back up, takes off his little propeller hat, and says, I can't do this, as someone off camera, presumably a producer, yells out, Chaz, we're live, Chaz! Beaver then starts walking out of frame as we quickly cut to commercial. And when we come back from break, Jim Ross informs us that the scheduled meat versus Beaver Cleaver match will no longer take place tonight due to, quote, philosophical or creative differences. And so we have us a Vince Russo specialty, the work shoot that's designed to make us think everything else is fake, but that part was real. Truly an Attitude Era staple. But yes, folks, Beaver Cleavage is officially dead after one match and one backstage segment, even though they gave us six weeks of vignettes hyping his debut. And I would give them credit for cutting their losses once they realized this gimmick was a loser, but realistically, I think anyone could have seen that this gimmick would have been a loser before they spent all that time filming six weeks worth of vignettes with Beaver puns. But hey, maybe they'll really make something out of Chaz going rogue and give him a solid push, right? Right? Yeah, uh, go ahead and Google it to see where that whole storyline with his girlfriend goes. Yikes. But so, after a commercial break, we go back into the arena for our next match, WWF CEO Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Big Boss Man, with Commissioner Shawn Michaels acting as the special guest referee. And remember, if Stone Cold wins, there will be no outside interference from the corporate ministry allowed during the latter match at King of the Ring. But if the boss man wins, then outside interference will indeed be allowed. And HBK, by the way, has now gotten rid of his San Antonio Spurs shirt in favor of one which says... Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy, which, as I stated on a previous episode, is the very same school a young Brian Danielson will begin attending in just a few short months. Pretty cool. So, anyway, as soon as the match begins, Boss Man rolls out of the ring and starts walking up the ramp, where Vince and Shane then emerge from backstage carrying a ladder. The McMahons are about to hand the ladder to Boss Man, but Stone Cold jumps him from behind, causing Vince and Shane to run right backstage. So of course, Austin then takes the ladder for himself and smacks Bossman with it right in front of referee Shawn Michaels. And naturally, HBK does nothing about it, so I suppose we can assume that this is a no-disqualification match. So Stone Cold and Bossman then head back to the ring, at which point Vince and Shane come right back out from the locker room and bring the ladder to ringside. Vince then stands guard over by the announce table, while Shane proceeds to join JR and Lawler on commentary, and at this point, Vince makes... a bit of a mistake. Why? Because Vince actually sets up the ladder and stands on it, and you would think he would know better than to put himself in such a vulnerable position, but apparently not. So as you might expect, Stone Cold takes that opportunity to topple the ladder, sending Vince falling backwards and causing him to land right on the announce table. And for the record, No, the table does not break, so Vince just sort of bounces down to the floor. Pretty great spot, and it got a fantastic reaction from the crowd as well. Although I have to say, doesn't that kind of violate Stone Cold's contract? Remember, over the past few months, they have explicitly been saying that Austin has it in his contract that he can't touch Vince, or he'll be fired on the spot. But then again, now that he's the CEO, I suppose he could just rehire himself. So fair enough, I think I just answered my own question. But back in the ring, Shawn Michaels gets distracted by Vince yelling at him from ringside, which allows the boss man to grab his nightstick. He swings it at Stone Cold, but Austin ducks, kicks him in the stomach, and yes, he nails boss man with a Stone Cold stunner. HBK turns back around, he makes the count, and yes, that was enough to secure the victory for Stone Cold Steve Austin. And so, this Sunday during the latter match, there will be no outside interference allowed from the corporate ministry. And after the match ends, Austin calls for some celebratory beers, and he even tosses one to HBK as well. And after downing a few cold ones, Stone Cold starts walking backstage, amusingly carrying Boss Man's nightstick with him, so I guess he wanted to keep a souvenir. But speaking of the Boss Man, after some commercials, we get footage from during the break, where we saw the corporate ministry backstage assaulting the boss man for losing. Even Vince and Shane get in a few shots on him, so clearly they were none too pleased with boss man's losing effort. And Jim Ross on commentary actually goes to bat for the boss man and says that he did the best that he could, which almost sounds like they're trending in the direction of a big boss man face turn, and I certainly have no recollection of that ever happening. But hypothetically, if it did, he should probably go back to wearing the powder blue bossman uniform from the late 80s and early 90s. But regardless, the clear message here is that CEO Stone Cold has a lot of momentum heading into King of the Ring, so I suppose we shall see how that plays out. And from there, we go back into the arena for our next match, Val Venus versus Prince Albert, who is accompanied by Draws. And interestingly, Val doesn't do his usual cocky walk down the ramp. Instead, he angrily speed walks into the ring and grabs the microphone from Tony Chimmel, where he then says, quote, "'Pritchard, send them out now.'" So for those scoring at home, we briefly saw Bruce Pritchard on camera last week when he ran past Deborah backstage and made a pass at her for some reason, and now Val Venus is name-checking Pritchard in a pre-match promo. And if we're entering the portion of the Attitude Era where Bruce Prichard is becoming a focus of the show, then let's just say, I'm glad that I'll be taking a hiatus very soon. But anyway, apparently the reason why Val is pissed off is because Draws and Albert pierced his nose on the previous week's episode of Sunday Night Heat, but unfortunately they don't show that clip here. Instead, when Draws and Albert walk to the ring, we get a pre-taped promo from Albert which they immediately have to cut short, because Val attacks Draws and Albert as soon as they get to the ring. And in order to make sure the Draws doesn't interfere during this match, Val actually takes out handcuffs, and he cuffs Draws' wrist to the padding behind one of the turnbuckles. Certainly not the first time Val Venus has used handcuffs. And so, Val quickly beats up Albert and rolls him into the ring, where he then hits Albert with a money shot from the top rope. And mind you, the bell has never rung, so it appears that this will not be an official match, but Val is getting revenge nonetheless. So Val then pulls out another set of handcuffs, and he then proceeds to cuff both of Albert's wrists to the bottom rope so that Albert is stuck face down on the mat. And at that point, Val pulls out Albert's tattoo kit, and, well, let's just pick it up from there.
0: Yeah, it look like. oh, looks like. some tattoo ink there. And that's a tattoo gun. Oh, my goodness. Put the women and children in bed. What should be doing? Good grief. Hey! Get him get him, get him off me! get him off me! Get him off me! He's, He's got no. a No! 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 I'm going to no. sing this dummy. Oh, my oh, Lord, don't that hurts. Get your Man, you let go, he's defacing me He's no, is, all, is a, apple, him tattooing him all, the he rather helpful and up. hairy backside of Prince Albert And draws know. his hand I cut I can't believe, what is he putting it. on there?
2: So help me God, you'll never let this yeah. down You will never, get shut, up. Up. shut, up. shut up. your mouth Now Venus, that's what you would! you will never let this down Never! Val never! Venus is you, I will of
0: get you for this! I promise you! Ah. Well, he's got two beads now. What's the deal with this? Is He's putting his initials. He's looks like a brandy. He's, he's tattooing his initials. Val Venus has just tattooed his initials on the on the rear end, the posterior of Prince Albert. And that's the, the payback for the nose piercing that Val received at the hands of Prince Albert and Ross a couple of...
1: Yes, you heard that correctly. With the helpless Prince Albert handcuffed to the bottom rope, Valvinus pulled down Albert's tights, exposing his thong, and he then proceeded to tattoo his initials on Albert's ass. Although really, when he wrote VV, the two letters blended together, so it just kind of looked like a giant W. And really, that's the only W Albert has been getting in this company lately. But regardless, Prince Albert now has his very own ass tattoo, which I'm pretty sure was gimmicked, but it did look pretty good nonetheless. Well, I mean, I guess I can't say that it looked good, but at least they made it look convincing. Someone getting an ass tattoo on live television, folks, if that doesn't scream Attitude Era, frankly, I don't know what does. And so, after a commercial break, we go back into the arena for our next match, and it is a six-man tag team match. The Road Dog Jesse James, X-Pac, and Kane versus Mr. Ass and your WWF Tag Team Champions, the Acolytes. But before the match begins, X-Pac grabs a microphone, and he issues this unique challenge.
2: I'm not going to come out here and bitch about getting screwed out of the Tag Team titles, but what do you say you put the belts up
0: right now, guys? Come on! Man, tag man. See, that's how stupid X-Punk is. What could happen? You're damn right we accept you, punk. What wait a minute, you can't oh. Mr. Ass has just accepted for the Acolytes. You know what? <laughs> it's just like you acolytes always speaking through your ass. Wait a minute. Oh, here we go. I guess the WWE tag team titles are on the line here.
1: And so even though this is a six-man tag team match. X-Pac is asking the Acolytes to put their tag-team titles on the line, and apparently Mr. Ass is able to accept on behalf of Farouk and Bradshaw. So yes, we have us a six-man tag-team title match. But what if X-Pac, Kane, or Road Dogg pinned Billy Gunn? I mean, would the titles change hands even though Billy himself isn't a tag-team chip? Ah, screw it, the hell with it. And well, as it turns out, that issue becomes completely irrelevant almost immediately. Allow me to explain. Billy Gunn grabs one of the tag team title belts and swings it at X-Pac, but Pac ducks and hits Mr. Ass with a spinning heel kick. Bradshaw then runs into the ring and attempts to clothesline X-Pac, but Pac backdrops him over the top rope. X-Pac then picks up the tag belt that Billy Gunn had dropped, but as soon as he does, Mr. Ass sneaks up on him and nails him with a asser, driving X-Pac's face into the title belt. Billy makes the cover, referee Mike Kyoto makes the count, And yes, that was literally the entire match, folks. Billy Gunn pins X-Pac in a minute and ten seconds. And here I thought we were going to get a nice, long six-man tag team match. I guess I should know better by now. But anyway, your winners of the match are Billy Gunn, Farouk, and Bradshaw. So I guess that means that the Acolytes are still your WWF tag team champions. Alrighty. And then, as soon as the match ends, Billy Gunn actually grabs one of the tag title belts, he hoists it above his head, and he walks to the locker room with it, even though he is not a tag team champion. And somehow, spoiler alert, they actually end up continuing this Billy Gunn stole a tag title angle into King of the Ring, so there's something to look forward to for the pay-per-view, huh folks? Not only could Mr. Ass become king, he has also taken a tag belt for no reason whatsoever okay then. And so after a commercial break, we get this week's edition of GTV. And this time around, the hidden camera is placed in Al Snow's locker room, where we see him pick his nose and then eat it. And Al then turns his attention to Head, who is apparently telling him that she saw him do it, but Al denies it. Ass tattoos and booger eating tonight, folks. Just another day in paradise. And from there, we go back into the arena for our next match, The Big Show versus Hardcore Holly. But before the match begins, Holly emerges from backstage with a microphone where he cuts one of his trademark amazing promos. In this case, he gives us this gem. As if you didn't know by now, I don't like you. And on a personal note, to be perfectly honest with you, I think you suck. Expert mic skills from Bob Holly there folks, but he does eventually get to the point. He wants tonight's match with Big Show to be a hardcore match, and so it shall be. And immediately, Show and Holly head right to the backstage area, which got me thinking about the last time Bob Holly had a hardcore match in Memphis. As previously mentioned, it went all the way to the Mississippi River. Well this time, we don't quite go that far, but Hardcore Holly probably wishes that they had. Why? Because instead, Big Show and Holly head to the parking lot, where Show throws Holly into a concrete wall. And here is where things get a bit interesting, because the concrete wall is actually positioned right next to a nearby road, which is slightly elevated above the wall. And coincidentally, there's a guy in a car nearby who yells at the Big Show, and well, just take a listen to what happens from there.
0: Wall, no doubt about it. There, there's the the a car. Oh, car. Hey, it's not in my car, but going, hey, hey, what's going hey, on here? Where's oh, oh, we'll we'll you. every car? Whoa. good God! What? What is he doing? Bob Holley. What? Did it? Well, I guess two, so. Three, no kick out there. Oh, that is an unbelievable display of power. Friend, that, have you ever seen anything like that in your life, kid? The big show that far right off the ledge. How did he do that? And I don't know how much of the contact uh, that car hit Bob Holly Bob Holly's throwing plastic garbage at the Big Show the a Big show the a Toyota.
1: So as you heard there, Big Show assaulted some poor guy who was just standing next to a car, and Show then took the car and pushed it off the concrete wall, crushing hardcore Holly with it in the literal epitome of the phrase, car crash television. Now, obviously, we get a bit of a tricky camera angle here because we see the car go over the wall, but we don't actually see it crush Holly because, you know, he'd be dead. But Big Show then does indeed go down to the area where Holly was lying, and we see Hardcore still on the ground, barely moving, since, you know, we were just led to believe that he had two tons of steel dropped on top of him from an elevated level. But ever the professional, Big Show does indeed put one foot on Holly to pin him. Referee Jimmy Corderas makes the count and hardcore holly kicks out at one no okay that's a lie of course it gets the three count your winner via attempted vehicular manslaughter the big show and so big show then starts walking through the parking lot and back into the arena at which point we get a bit of an unintentionally funny moment because prince albert wanders into the camera view smiling like he doesn't have a care in the world as though he didn't just get his ass unwillingly tattooed by someone And then, as soon as he sees the camera pointed at him, he immediately turns right back around in an attempt to try and hide his face. So ladies and gentlemen, your future head trainer at the Performance Center. Good lord. But I have to say, watching Big Show topple a car over like it was nothing was a pretty damn cool spot. I had no recollection of this ever happening, so it was certainly a very nice surprise, and a good way of getting him over as a complete monster. As for Hardcore Holly, since he was just... Crushed by an automobile. I assume we won't be seeing him on television for several months. At the early... what's that? I'm being told he wrestles six days from now at King of the Ring. Let's let's just move on. So after commercial break, we go back into the arena where it is now time for our next match: Vince and Shane McMahon versus Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe. And I assumed that Vince would be selling his back after Stone Cold pushed him off that ladder onto the commentary table earlier tonight. But no, apparently the chairman is just fine. But, well, then again, I guess if Hardcore Holly can survive being crushed by a car, Vince can no-sell falling off a ladder. Yeesh. So basically, the match starts with Shane and Vince working over Patterson and Briscoe in opposite corners until the Stooges shift momentum and take control. Patterson climbs to the second rope and starts punching Vince as the crowd counts along, but the chairman reverses the momentum by nailing Patterson with a low blow. And that gives Jim Ross another excuse to make a wink-wink, nudge-nudge reference, as he says, quote, That's gonna make old Joe mad! You know, I didn't even realize it at the time, back in 1999, but JR was certainly not being subtle with these Patterson references. Yeesh. But anyway, once Vince hits that low blow, Ken Shamrock runs out from backstage. Shane hits Shamrock with a chop block, which enables Vince to run off backstage, But naturally, that chop block didn't make Shamrock too pleased, so he whips Shane off the ropes and nails him with an overhead belly-to-belly suplex. Shamrock then runs off to the locker room to chase after Vince, leaving Shane alone in the ring with Patterson and Briscoe. Or maybe not, because Rodney and Pete Gass then sneak through the crowd and enter the ring, but the Stooges quickly start pummeling them. But at that point... A third guy in a sweater vest sneaks into the ring, and he helps the posse take out the Stooges. The new guy then exits the ring, grabs a steel chair, and he then proceeds to wrap the steel chair around each Stooges' leg. And yes, this new guy then stomps on the chair, pilmanizing the Stooges' ankles in the process. And so, with Patterson and Briscoe laid out on the ground, Shane, Rodney, Pete Gass... And this new guy then celebrate together, so it appears that we have a new member of the Mean Street Posse. And they don't tell us his name on this show, but spoiler alert, we will come to know him as Joey Abs. Now remember, Rodney and Pete Gas are actual childhood friends of Shane McMahon, not trained wrestlers, but Joey Abs, real name Jason Arndt, actually is a wrestler, so I assume the logic here is that they wanted to put someone who could actually work in the group. And fun fact for you here, this is not Jason Irons first appearance in the WWF. He actually periodically wrestled as a jobber for the company from 1994 to 1997, and in fact, he holds the distinction of being the first ever victim of the Stone Cold Stunner. In fact, Take a listen to that moment from the June 8th, 1996 episode of Superstars of Wrestling and notice how Vince McMahon and Mr. Perfect basically just talk over the stunner because they don't realize that it's the finish.
0: Steve Austin against Jason Art, yet to come here this week on WWF Superstars. Jerry the King Roller is going to be in action. He will not be bringing a microphone to the ring this time, I don't think. Uh, he's going to respect his opponent a little bit more than that. And boy, is he ever going to respect, the Ultimate Warrior at the King of the Ring. What's going to happen, Mr. Perfect? What if he brought the microphone to the ring when he wrestled the Ultimate Warrior at King of the Ring? Now, that would be exciting. Yes, it would, but what you come lucky to be. Oh, I got to take the king all the way. I think he's got what it takes to beat the ultimate warrior. And a three count here, no surprise. Jason Arnt defeated by Literally Stone Cold Steve Austin. Movie.
1: So, yes, Jason Arnt was the first ever victim of the stone cold stunner. But, and I honestly can't believe this is true, somehow he managed to get his revenge on Stone Cold 6 months later. How because the very cocky Stone Cold decided to wrestle Jason Arndt and another jobber named Eddie Jackie in a two-on-one handicap match on the December 29th, 1996 episode of Superstars of Wrestling. How did that go? Take a listen.
0: What, he's, he's tying Art up in the ropes and he's just slapping him! He is slapping the fire out of Jason Art and another one! Stone Cold Stoner again! Here comes the Bulldog! The British Bulldog caught Austin with a clothesline! Wait! Yes! No! I can't believe it! No! Stone Cold has lost! No! No! Thanks to the British Bulldog, Stone Cold Steve Austin has been upset by Jason Arndt and Eddie Jackie in this handicap matchup!
1: Yes, you heard that correctly. Stone Cold tied Jason Arndt up in the ropes, then hit Eddie Jackie with a Stone Cold stunner. But when referee Jimmy Corderas tried to untie Arndt, the British Bulldog snuck into the ring behind Corderas. He hit Stone Cold with a clothesline. Arndt escaped from the ropes. He went for the pin. And yes, Jason Arndt pinned Stone Cold Steve Austin a mere three weeks before Stone Cold won the 1997 Royal Rumble. So yes, folks, Joey Abs owns a pinfall victory over Stone Cold Steve Austin. I mean, talk about something I absolutely did not expect to uncover when I was doing my research for this episode. It's like that match in 1989 when the genius beat reigning WWF champion Hulk Hogan by count-out, but somehow this one is even more surprising. I just, I mean, my mind is blown. But anyway, Joey Abs is now the newest member of the Mean Street Posse, so maybe he'll get a chance to pin Stone Cold again. Yeah, okay, that's, that's not going to happen. And so, after one final commercial break, it is now time for our main event, as scheduled by Commissioner Shawn Michaels, and it is for the WWF Championship. Champion, The Undertaker, accompanied by Paul Bearer, versus fellow corporate ministry member Triple H, who is accompanied by China. And honestly, since this is a heel-versus-heel match, I kind of expected that we'd have some sort of shenanigans before the match started in order to prevent it from occurring. But no, The Undertaker and Triple H are actually having a real match here. And I kind of feel bad for both of these guys, because the crowd is pretty quiet for this one, since, you know, we've been conditioned to hate both of these guys for months on end now. I mean, who do I root for? Satan Incarnate, or the guy who turned his back on the company's most popular stable? not exactly some great options. But they do end up having a very nice six and a half minute match, and the finish comes when China enters the ring with a chair, but the Undertaker snatches it away from her before she can use it. And, well, go ahead and take a listen to what happens from there.
0: Taking her head off. Oh! Yeah. That continues. Wait a minute. There's The Rock! The Rock! The Rock's not going to wait until the King of the ring. Look at the rock bottom! Rock bottom! There's a the Rock bottom, and The Rock is simply signaling for something. What is he doing? Hillsley of China leaving. The match ends in a disqualification. The Undertaker retains the title. Look at this! What, what is, is that? that? I can't see. It looks. It is a, a gigantic Brahma Bull symbol, the symbol of the rock. And, quote, it's snorting. Look at that. The Brahma Bull is snorting. Could this be a sign of things to come this Sunday at the King of the Ring? Look at that, the people's elbow. Undertaker set up. seen anything quite like that. A snorting Brahma Bull symbol. Oh, shot. The Rock is absolutely on fire here. Right. The Rock bringing He's going smoke out his nose. The rock He's on fire. bringing that symbol into the ring, King. The, the well, last... now, now I guess we know who The Rock is going to be facing Sunday. It's The Rock and The Undertaker Sunday on pay per view. Hey, wait a minute. The King it. of the Ring. Wait, here comes this bull's head, his has, has hand comes on it. The Acolytes, Midian, and Viscera. Yeah, now Rock's going to pay. Yeah, Rock, Rock fighting for his life here. It's, what what, is, wait, what is, is the boss man? man? What's he doing in there? The boss man getting even with the corporate ministry for that meeting he took earlier tonight. I don't think the boss man has any love for The Rock. But the boss man wanted to get time of the corporate ministry for their assault on him earlier. Hey, wait a minute. Paul Bear has been left behind. Paul Bear is still in there. Paul Bear has been left behind. Undertaker's got Paul Bear! He's got Paul! The Undertaker, the WWE champion, watching Paul Bear here. All oh, Undertaker sand rock here going down. This Sunday, the King of the Ring, it will be a war on pay per view. Paul Bear has been handcuffed to the Rock's Brahma Bull symbol. And yeah, I think that symbol had to be meant for the Undertaker. Undertaker, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave Paul there?
2: The Rock says, and King of the Ring, it's going to be the night of the Brahma Bull. The Rock says a Brahma Bull is going to dip his horns, turn them sideways and stick
0: them straight up. to can hear. Oh, it's going to be electrifying. This Sunday on Pay-Per-View, The Rock versus The Undertaker for the WWF title in the Rattlesnake Stone Cold Steve Austin. What The Rock is
2: cooking.
1: Okay, so what you heard there was The Rock running into the ring and nailing The Undertaker with a rock bottom, resulting in a disqualification and enabling Taker to keep his WWF title. And interestingly, even though their fellow corporate ministry member is being beaten up by The Rock, Triple H and China decide to simply roll out of the ring and head backstage instead of helping Taker. But anyway, as soon as Rock hits the rock bottom on Taker, he motions toward the ceiling, at which point... The face of a giant blue Brahma bull lowers from the ceiling, complete with pyro and smoke literally shooting out from the nose of the bull. And again, I had absolutely no recollection of this ever happening, but apparently, at least for one night, The Rock had his very own version of the Undertaker's symbol. Bizarre. So while the bull symbol is being lowered, Paul Bearer enters the ring, but Rock immediately knocks him down to the mat. The Corporate Ministry then runs into the ring to provide some backup, which allows the Undertaker to escape. But then, the Big Boss Man runs out from backstage and starts smacking Corporate Ministry members with his nightstick. So yes, it really looks like they're potentially running with a Big Boss Man face turn here, as he is actively helping out The Rock and standing guard on the ring apron so no one can interfere. And so, with Paul Bearer left behind in the ring, The Rock takes Bearer, and handcuffs him to his Brahma Bull symbol, but thankfully though, they don't raise the symbol up toward the ceiling like they used to do when Taker would sacrifice someone, so perhaps they've learned their lesson after that whole over-the-edge thing. And as you heard at the end there, The Rock, in his own unique way, is claiming that this Sunday night at King of the Ring, he will defeat The Undertaker to become the new WWF champion. Quite the way to wrap up the go-home episode of Monday Night Raw before King of the Ring, but we're not done yet, so on that note, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them C's
0: back in the rec room era My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror I freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated the cast that's been thugging Vinny Paz got more hoes than Jim Duggan uh, I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind They won't let me back in Cause yeah. I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Bacchus Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak Now the rock and stone cold on my favorite maniac The top rooster to plucking, chickens when they plucking W
1: W S stands for women where the we fucking The Ratings Recap. So last week, Raw put up a 6.66 rating. Hey, the rating of the beast! And this week, they actually dropped down pretty substantially to an even 6.0, but the good news there is that that rating was still well ahead of Nitro, which did a 3.1, their new lowest rating of the year. But of course, for the sake of comparison, here's what you could have been watching over on the TNT network instead. Billy Kidman vs. Psychosis went to a no contest. Meng defeated Lenny Lane. In his first match back in the company in six months, Eddie Guerrero defeated Juventud Guerrera, so welcome back, Eddie. Ernest Miller defeated Prince Iakea. Booker T defeated Canyon via disqualification. Ric Flair and Roddy Piper defeated Buff Bagwell and Dean Malenko. Diamond Dallas Page and Bam Bam Bigelow went to a no contest against Conan and Rey Mysterio. And in your main event, Sting and Randy Savage also went to a no contest. So for those scoring at home, that would be eight matches, three of which ended in a no contest. Clearly, WCW is taking some cues from Monday Night Raw. But there was a very noteworthy debut on this episode of Nitro, and on that note, that will lead me to this week's excerpt from the book The Death of WCW by R.D. Reynolds and Brian Alvarez. So let's listen to them describe a memorable segment from this episode of Nitro. Quote, Nitro the following Monday was at the Superdome in New Orleans before a paying crowd of 15,593. Master P had bragged to the company that his presence would make the building sell out. Considering that the building could hold over 55,000, Master P was wrong. The show was built around him and his crew, the No Limit Soldiers, who repeatedly chanted, hooty-hoo to progressively louder boos. The idea was that Master P and his crew were supposed to be good guys, taking on the bad guy group of Kurt Hennig and his posse, who would become known as the West Texas Rednecks. The problem here was twofold. First, there were more than ten or so soldiers and four rednecks, which meant the rednecks got cheered for valiantly holding their own against tremendous odds. Second, Hennig and his crew wrote a hilarious country song called Rap Is Crap, And since WCW had its roots in the South, this also got them over as big heroes. Rap is Crap became so popular at one point that several country stations played it in rotation. WCW, of course, responded as they always did when lucking into something like this. They killed the Angle dead. End quote. And honestly, I think that excerpt somehow even downplays how poorly this segment came across, because Kurt Hennig actually presents Master P's brother, Silk the Shocker, with a cowboy hat as a birthday present, to which Silk responds by stomping it, and then the No Limit Soldiers smash Hennig in the face with a birthday cake. They clearly wanted the No Limit Soldiers to be baby faces, but this was pretty much as heelish as you can get. And hey, fun fact for you, Another one of Master P's brothers, real name Corey Miller, was also present at this show. While rapping, he would use the stage name C-Murder, and can you guess what crime he would later end up committing? Yes, in 2009, C-Murder was sentenced to life in prison for committing, wait for it, murder! But hey, at least he lives the gimmick. And also, just to wrap this up, Reynolds and Alvarez actually weren't kidding in that passage I read when they mentioned Master P yelling, hootie hoo non-stop. Try watching this episode of Nitro and counting how many times that phrase gets yelled into a microphone. If you like getting the shit annoyed out of you, then this was the Nitro for you. Suddenly I can see why this episode did their lowest rating of the year up to this point. But on a related note, would the No Limit soldiers lay the smackdown on your hootie hoo candy ass or is that copywritten? Let's all just ponder that for a moment. And then we can take it to the Raw synopsis. So let's see. On this episode of Raw, we had a work-shoot promo, a man getting an ass tattoo, the European title coming back for no reason, a giant Brahma bull being lowered from the ceiling, and the Big Show attempting to kill a man with an automobile. I mean, if you want to talk about peak attitude era, I'd say this was it. But guess what, folks? I was very sports-entertained by this. And on the note of the actual wrestling... Undertaker vs. Triple H was good, Austin vs. Bossman was fun, and we got the only ever one-on-one match between The Rock and Edge. So hey, as far as I'm concerned, big thumbs up for this episode. I'm sure back in 1999 it certainly got me excited for King of the Ring, even though, uh, well, in my recollection, it wasn't that great of a pay-per-view, but hopefully I'll be able to find the time to actually sit down and watch it and confirm or deny that. But yes, if you have some spare time, I would recommend that you fire up the network and pop on this episode of Raw. And shit, as I'm recording this in April, we're still supposed to be quarantined, so it's not like you guys have anything better to do. Go watch this episode as soon as possible instead of a present-day episode of Raw with no fans in attendance, and you can thank me later. And before we finish up, here are a few notes from this week's edition of The Wrestling Observer. Apparently, the lawyers for the WWF and WCW have been going back and forth over the past week because of Sable's appearance in the crowd on last week's episode of Nitro. WCW is claiming that she bought her own ticket and just happened to be shown on camera, but no one is really buying that explanation since, you know, they kind of went out of their way to show her on camera, and Eric Bischoff even acknowledged her on commentary. And USA Today actually caught up with Sable and asked her about that appearance, And she said, quote, I wanted to see if the same level of obscenity was taking place. It was not. End quote. But needless to say, the WWF views Sable appearing on Nitro as a violation of her contract, and so we have yet more fuel being added to that ongoing lawsuit fire. Fun times. And speaking of WCW, their recent Great American Bash pay-per-view did a... 0.43 0.43 buy rate, which is the company's fifth lowest buy rate of all time. So yeah, the Kevin Nash-as-Booker era isn't exactly going all that well. In other news, current free agent Chris Jericho did a few concerts this week in Atlanta, where he was the lead singer of some band called Fuzzy Osborne. Clearly, though, that's just a hobby, and there's no way that it will ever last. Meanwhile, over in Japan, Antonio Inoki is planning on bringing back the Big Van Vader gimmick, complete with smoking headgear. Now, I hadn't realized this, but apparently Inoki actually owns the rights to the gimmick, which is why Vader had to eventually drop the Big Van part of his name. So who does Inoki want to take over as Big Van Vader in Japan? A rookie by the name of Sylvester Turkay. Anybody remember that dude? He wrestled briefly in the WWE on SmackDown and ECW in 2006, but that was pretty much it. I don't think he ever ends up getting the Vader gimmick, but something tells me he wouldn't have exactly killed it in the role if he did. Just a hunch. In a quick ECW-related story, Sabu ended up doing a run-in at ECW's first-ever show in Chicago this week. Not a big deal, right? except for the fact that Sabu was on a tour of Japan with FMW at the time, so he literally flew from Japan to Chicago just to do the run-in, and then he flew right back to Japan. I mean, we always knew he was insane in the ring, but now I'm concerned he must be insane outside of the ring as well, because I damn sure wouldn't want to put up with all that travel in such a short amount of time, so tip of the hat to Sabu there. And finally, on another ECW note... Christopher Daniels debuted in ECW this past week, having a great match with Super Crazy, which ultimately Paul Heyman decided not to air on TV for some reason. However, after the match, Daniels apparently cut a pretty amusing promo referencing his own weight, where he said that if you're 200 pounds and from Mexico, they call you a luchador. If you're 200 pounds and from Japan, they call you an international superstar. But if you're 200 pounds and from America, you have to get a needle in your ass as quickly as you can. And 21 years later, Christopher Daniels is still wrestling in AEW at age 50, so prophecy fulfilled, perhaps? Hmm. Nah, probably not. Probably not. But so, on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or more importantly, write us a 5-star review on iTunes, because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast, and give you full credit for doing so. Or, if you're more of a fan of that whole brevity thing, just rate us five stars on iTunes without writing a review, because that's very helpful too. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I will now leave you with a clip from this week's episode of Monday Nitro, because it features the greatest catchphrase in wrestling history. So enjoy that, and hopefully I will have a King of the Ring slash Monday Night Raw mega episode for you at some point in the near future. We shall see. So, in the meantime, stay tuned and I will catch you at some point.
0: I'll tell you, hit a gas for this. Walking in there, giving Silk the Shocker a cowboy hat. But it shows you how tough he is. It shows you that Take man's determination and courage. He walked right in there. Take your hat with cowboy. Hey. you, cowboy. Again. Now you've made a man. I told you, what wasn't no limit, cowboy. No limit. No limit, you heard me. it So Henning wants away. Let's wait. go back to the silk party you heard me. Where them soldiers at? Where they at? Woody it not gonna Get stop the party not gonna stop the party at oh, all bro, tell bro. you so Happy, Happy birthday
2: the No limit soldier We know let me soldier I I
0: You